Welcome to another episode of Jackman Radio. I am your host, Mike, as always, joined by Eric Jackman. And tonight we are joined by Mr. Adam Fitzgerald and Nelson, a.k.a. DJ Thermal Detonator, uh, two of the best independent 9-11 researchers out there, still going strong. And uh, this week we had a huge, uh, in our minds, a huge release come out on Hulu, uh, a documentary about um, 9-11 and more specifically Flight 23 which uh, some think was going to be uh, the so-called fifth plane. Although there are others that could have been the fifth plane, but we can get into all that. But uh, how are you gentlemen doing this evening? Doing great. Good. Great. great. <laughs> I was waiting for Nelson first. Go ahead, Adam. Go ahead. Let's step on each other. No, I'm doing great. Listen, you guys, you've been very kind to have me on again, so thank you. Yeah, very glad uh, somebody uh, you know wanted to talk about this finally. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's important, you know, before we went on the air, we were kind of just riffing on uh, 9-11 as a whole and some of the areas that uh, just don't ever get discussed too deep, you know, maybe because there were only a couple early media reports and it's been memory hold or people don't think it's very important in the in the grand scheme of things. But I think something like this is important um, because it shows there were hijackers, first and foremost. Uh, they were on those planes and, uh, you know, there were... There was possibly, and I think this pretty much conclusively proves it, at least one other uh, plane that could have gone into the air and it could have gone into the White House. It could have gone into the Capitol. I mean, who knows? So it, it also, it also, I think when we'll talk about this more, it also makes you wonder, well, what's the point of the TSA? Yeah, right. If I mean, well, the thing with so the thing on this documentary and anyone who's watching it, it came out on Hulu. It was actually a TMZ investigation. I, I thought this was amazing. Harvey Levin was was like wanting to do this and behind this. I mean, that dude, you know, he goes through celebrities' underwear and garbage, and he's investigating 9/11. What kind of world are we living in? I don't you know, know where he got the idea from because it's really a, a rare anomaly about 9-11 that's rarely ever talked about. So I'm really interested how Harvey Levin, I was gonna reach out to him, ask him, you know, what made you want to investigate this specific matter regarding 9-11? And um, I'm very interested to know, like, uh, what, what he what he came across. Yeah, I don't even watch yeah. the movie. I wasn't familiar with him at all. <laughs> didn't he, yeah, didn't he say, Mike, that um, a woman he knew through some connection he had dinner with and she had information about flight 23. That's right. That is how, she, how, how he came to this. It was a woman who told him that was peripherally connected to it or had a family member that was involved in it. And, and she told him about it years ago yeah. and it's always stuck in his head. And for whatever reason, he was able to do it in the last six months or year to do something about it. So, but I'm saying to you, Nelson, before we went on the air, I mean, you, you've kind of been investigating this particular flight 23 for what, seven or eight years. Since 2015, 2016, although it was briefly mentioned in the film Fabled Enemies from Jason Burmis of the Loose Change fame in 09, it was never really covered ever in any documentary. And uh, I became reacquainted with it once I was once I discovered that there were certain things going on on September 13th that nobody else talked about either. So that unraveled uh, a whole thing of me analyzing activities at JFK Airport, which I probably will get into further. But um, yeah, then I became yeah, then I became more interested in other planes. But you know, for the TMZ theme, it's is the fifth plane, so 
You know, right. I'm fine with uh, keeping it in that framework and keeping yeah. it on September 11th. Yeah, so so go into that, Nelson or Adam, whoever wants to just give our, our listeners and viewers kind of a background on Flight 23, why it's important, um, what you knew about it before watching this documentary, and what the documentary kind of shed light on. Well, I, uh, Flight 23 actually was a flight that was supposed to take out of uh, JFK and land in uh, uh, San Francisco, I believe, or LAX. Nelson, I think you LA, was going to go to LAX. LAX. Yeah. And so this was actually the uh, the United Airlines flight that actually was backed up by traffic, initial traffic on September 11, 2001. And just like it said in the film, uh, the pilot, whose name escapes me, Tom Masello, I think his name was, um, actually said that it was very unusual for a whole bunch of traffic to be ahead of him. He, he expected two or three planes, not 10. And I think what happened was basically the reports were coming out that uh, th that 11 wasn't answering uh, uh, Boston Center and neither was 175, which was a United plane. So what happened was there was this pause in, in, in uh, national airspace, but nobody was reporting any hijacking until uh, there was an ACARS message. Now, an ACARS message is when a, 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 a airline center basically emits a transmitted text message to the pilots, uh, whether it be information that is regarding airspace or the closed airspace or what have you. But there was a message that said cockpit intrusion because now there was reports that 175 was hijacked. And when Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower, many people, including people in the airline industry, didn't know whether it was a small plane or an airliner until 175 was reported a hijacking. And then the CEO of United Airlines, Gerald Arpey, uh, transmitted a, a car's message to all United flights that there was a cockpit intrusion and you know take precautions. And so United Airlines Flight 23 had a, just like the other planes, low amount of passengers, um, and there was a unusual amount of Arabs in the in first class. There wasn't many people. In, I think they were the only people in first class. Um, there was four Arabs, three men, one uh, woman that I didn't know that later turned out to be a man in a niqab. A niqab is a covering, Arab a covering, where the face and the body is covered. Uh, mm. It's called a, a niqab. The hijab is just the, the face covered. Nikab is the whole covering. Now, a flight attendant basically saw hair on the guy's hands. And there was also hands were pretty much bigger than a woman's. And he said, and she said that um, that he thought it was a man. There was two flight attendants that basically said it was a man. And so when they heard the message, the next message was that Gerald Arpey, the CEO, basically said that when 175 crashed into the South Tower, that uh, no no flights were to um, uh, all flights were to be grounded, so there was no only for United flights, by the way. And mm -hmm. I consider Gerald Arpey a hero because he's the first person in the United States to order a national stand down of just United flights, hereby saving untold lives, and nobody ever talks Co about it. compared to Norman Mineta. Yeah, compared to Norman, which came later, actually. After the third plane. Yeah. Right, exactly. After the Pentagon, then he Right, exactly. When, when yeah. that happened, all United Airlines went back. So Flight 23 went back to taxi back to the entry gate. And when that was happening, the flight attendant, whose name escapes me, went on the um, 
the phone, to transmit phone, to tell people that we're going back to the gate and we're evacuating the airport because of what was happening. And all of a sudden, these people stood up and basically argued with the flight attendant about needing to fly and getting up right away. They didn't care. You know, uh, they just need to fly. This worried the flight attendants and whatnot. And so they went back to the gate and everybody evacuated the airport. And when they did that, they closed. The mechanic came in, made sure that everybody was off the plane, including the pilots, and he locks the plane. Well, according to uh, Tom, Tom Masello basically says that when that happened, the mechanics on the ground, after the plane was locked, saw people inside the plane. And this was news to me. I didn't know this part, that there were people in the plane. And it makes sense because what also was news to me and people like Nelson here and everybody else was that the planes have floor hatches. Yes. Well, so, so, so I'm but, guessing but, but the woman was also unused to us. And, you know, even the amount of suspects on the plane was news to us. We only heard three or four. Mm. You know, we're hearing already five on the plane now. We're like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and it was, it was news to me because when yeah. when it, the only way to get out of the plane would be use the floor hatch, which leads to an electronics bay, which is all the electronics given to the to the pilot and the and the intercom systems, and then from there you can actually uh, open up what they call an E and E hatch. An E and E hatch is where the ground crew can enter into the electronics room, and then you can enter into the plane, but. The, the door to the plane, the hatch, is covered by uh, uh, um, carpeting. But you could just rip up the carpeting by just opening the hatch. But what's fascinating is that these people, whoever they were, basically hid inside the electronics, got on the plane, either got rid of the weapons on the plane that were hidden on the plane, took the weapons, and escaped that way. And how did nobody see this? I don't know. But if the plane, if the airport's evacuated, Really, no one's going to see them, except for the ground crew that is basically servicing the plane. Well, and then didn't they talk about some people in uniforms, too, that were, were wearing, uh, they could have been wearing, like, maintenance uniforms. Yeah. This, this, like yeah, yeah. this was September 10th. This is something me and Nelson have talked about extensively. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we've heard of this situation happening at Dulles Airport. Yes. Okay, so this is separate from JFK and Flight 23. Yes. This is okay. So, but, but, the, but the thing is, is that with this situation in that hatch, you know, that leads to other things. Once the people have deboarded, deplaned, you know, were these people already in the plane that whole time? Or right. did they, right. you know, once everybody left, open up, yes. go in there? And if they were going on to the plane already then, you know, um, you know, were they going to be part of that five? Or did they have a backup plan and think, you know, if People are going to evacuate the airport. There's going to be this emergency. Take a plane and crash it anyways. Now, didn't they also find box cutters at a plane right next to 23 at JFK? Yes. And the pilot of 23, basically, his conclusion was that that was the tail number was off by one with my plane and the plane next to me. But yes. they found the box cutters. And my thinking is that those were supposed to be placed on my flight, flight 23. Well, well, first of all, I challenge that it even was box cutters. It could have been knives. It could have been, you know, some other weapons. But, you know, I, I tend to think it was knives. Originally, when we heard this story before the TMZ thing, we had heard, from, especially from the History Channel documentary, uh, Grounded on 9-11. That came out in, history, in 2005. Wow. You know, 
they were the first that actually covered it before Burmans did. But they had also covered Delta 1989. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, but um, they had mentioned that you know on flight 23 they were that there was baggage left over and box cutters and weapons on mm. flight 23. Now it seems that we're being corrected here. Now we're being told, well, these there was weapons found on a you know a different plane number off. Uh, I yeah I wouldn't doubt it, you know, <laughs> but uh, I I feel yeah that they that this program are, are brought that that's one big piece of clarity they've uh, definitely shown me. You know, Another that, piece, okay. piece of it. Oh, I'm sorry, Nelson. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say what, what, what really uh, I, I found to be shocking to me and new information to me. One of the guys w went up to towards the cockpit when the cockpit door was open with a child and was pointing to the the pilots w w when the cockpit door was open. So th these guys brought a child onto the plane. I mean, what's what do yep. you guys make of that? To me, that's new information. I, that's I, I, I am not surprised. So that doesn't surprise I, you? I mean, obviously, no, they, no, it doesn't they, surprise me. Even like put it, it wouldn't surprise me if they even used a pregnant woman, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know so, what I mean? Either, yeah. either or. Um, uh, the reason why you in particular with this one is because from my film, uh, the Bojinka Maximum, uh, untold hijacking attempts of September 11th, September 13th, I briefly show that there were uh warnings that when Logan Airport reopened. They said to watch out for a woman with a with a with a bag, and uh, there was this <clears throat> early, you know, that could be bringing on a bomb, too. You know, right. uh, there was this early, yeah, warning sign. So I'm not surprised, and also little, little other things that I've heard. But put, put it put this way: the usage of women. Uh, yes, I've heard this happen uh, even at Dulles Airport. Yeah, and then and then the. Uh... You know the idea that they they wouldn't bring a child. I mean, I, it was it was just news to me. That's why it was surprising. Yeah, oh, of yeah, course, it's, children, it's there was children that died on nine eleven. There was a young yeah, child. Yeah, I know. Like and then they would actually bring their own. That's freaky. I know. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's. Uh, but I mean, from their point of view, I guess it's quite a decoy. It's quite a way to surprise and to get the jump on the authorities by using a child. And then that that one uh, flight attendant was was talking about the guy sitting by himself, just sweating profusely. Behind that was the, news to me, man. That was yeah, like, wow. Behind the really big jack dude in the nice tan suit, and then the guy wearing the the full, uh, you know, the, the, the full I gear. TMZ program, they probably replicated it, all those suspects according to it, what they witnessed. So I think we got an actual it, it totally idea. Yeah, it painted a whole new picture of this whole scenario for me because um, Adam had told me about Flight 23 a while back and Dawson had, Brian Dawson had told me about it. So I kind of had a rough idea about it, but really after seeing them recreate this, I really recommend everybody go watch this if you can. It's on Hulu. It's uh, it's called the fifth plane. It's by TMC, which surprisingly they did a bang up job with right. it. They interviewed the pilot. They interviewed people who were there, flight attendants. Um, so I guess overall, uh, Adam, I want to ask you, so did, or uh, Nelson, if you know, either one of you can jump in here if you know this, um, did the FBI figure out who these guys were and were they apprehended afterwards or did they just slip away? Well, according to the uh, film itself, that the FBI had uh, done an investigation to seven people on the plane and actually knew who they were. And they actually have the flight manifest. Years later, 
I think back five years ago, I I was uh, I told Ed and Nelson that I filed a, a, a FOIA request regarding the flight manifest. Now, I'm not law enforcement. That's what they told me, that they couldn't release it to me. But the FBI did know about that flight manifest. And it would, I mean, it makes sense for them to do an investigation. The problem is, is that the FBI didn't allow, uh, didn't allow even for United Airlines employees or management to know who was on that flight manifest, which is surreal, <laughs> if you ask me. And we know uh, that hijackers use fake IDs. I mean, why do we have all these claims of living hijackers? Hmm, because they're stolen eight, identities. Different names. So it's kind yeah. of like the flight manifest kind of would have even been worthless. So then you got to question, did they actually capture this? Capture these people? Well, the program <laughs> alludes that they didn't. But the program did a great job separate from pointing out that, yeah, they got a manifest. But that they went to the, to the hotel room of where the, the crew was staying at the next day. Hmm. You know, debriefed them, questioned them, all, all of that. And that's important. And, and to them, they didn't know. They wanted to inquire more. They had no other information. You know, and I, I'll be honest with you, the, the program actually cut, it made me cry. Uh, because, I mean, not just the scariness, but then just the the treatment they got from United Airlines. You know, oh, yeah. basically these doctors were using the commission report to, to, to say, no, you you don't you have no actual grief. You didn't actually experience almost being hijacked. You, you know, you know, uh, that may be angry. Yeah, that was shameful. That was yeah, shameful. Yeah. That Another reason why, too, is that I know people who have collected, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, food stamps and, you know, uh, Social Security, you know, um, helped because they said they're, you know, they're addicted to 9-11 conspiracies or they follow Alex Jones. <laughs> I, I see that, so it's like to see that. I was just like that, you know, that dynamic. Um, was was one of them? Uh, I might be mixing this up, but there was. It might have been a flight attendant who has given interviews, or or a passenger. It could even be James Woods. I'm thinking of, but somebody saw, I think Marwan El Shayi or one of the other hijackers. It was, doing, it was Ada, and he saw Ada doing the dry run. Yeah, and it was Ada. Yeah, yeah. There and then and they were seen elsewhere, you know, too. But. The thing about it is, is that, you know, what the show doesn't show, and, and I think the other person we should bring up here is the author that they referenced and interviewed, Lynn Spencer, who put out the book Touching History. She was the one digging this up. Uh, she interviewed the, 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 the co-pilot, Carol Timmons, and she passed away a couple of years ago. And, and you know, they pointed that out because you don't see her in there. They dramatize her. But she passed away a couple of years ago, and I think – that's the reason why that, you know, pushed, you know, all the other crew to finally come out and, you know, admit their story. You know, and it's been over 20 years. They should have had their story on the 20-year anniversary in the first place, you know. Um, so that, that I believe, is what invigorated them to do it. And, I, you know, we're not even doing it. I mean, look, we're not even talking about this on the anniversary. Usually I get called for interviews on the anniversary. You know, here we are in, in, in March. Um, but... Uh, God, there was not, but the, oh yes, the point I was getting to is that it leaves you off as, as if they didn't capture the people, they didn't capture the suspects of Flight 23. Well, in actuality, in my film, although it is six hours long, I showed that they did capture mm -hmm. the people, the suspects of Flight 23, because maybe they had the flight manifest and maybe the show was telling you all that, but the show was avoiding to tell you what happened when the airports reopened? There were hijacking attempts again at JFK and LaGuardia Airport. Even they even closed Newark Airport because 
there were Saudi flights taken off, and they were thinking there were people even fleeing, uh, you know, leaving the country, not the hijack, but, you know, they were even going after suspects that they were, you know, they had names after, the authorities did. So the airport, on, on JFK Airport, the New York airport's closed. They were opened in the morning. They started lifting off. Some flights started taking off by the afternoon, uh, by, by past noon. Then by 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they start shutting them down because of all these reports of people uh, dressed up. And uh, some of them even had, uh, you know, the ground crew uniform, pilot uniforms. Uh, there's a woman uh, involved. There's uh, there's you know, it even sounds like it's like two different teams at each each airport. Hmm. I'm hearing it, you know, it sounds like like we're I'm like whoa. So they they detained them and they were reporting this from the from for like 14 hours straight. All the mainstream news was covering this, you know, and I show all these reports and all the constant updates. You know, we were hearing guns, knives. Uh, you know, explosives, even with LaGuardia, one of them threatened with a bomb. You know, that was that one was even crazier. Um, and uh, it, it, it basically came around till the next morning on September 14th that they start to say at 10 o'clock, we let all of them go. We, you know, there were not there was no, uh, you, you know, telling everybody no, no false alarm. Go back to your business. Nothing to see, folks. There was no hijacking attempts. Everything is safe. You know, about to tell you to go shop at Walmart and go to Disneyland and all that. Um, so, um, so throughout the week, uh, throughout the few, next few days, we start to hear that they are keeping four of the people left over that were arrested at JFK Airport and the Fox News anchors that I've that I've looked through. They're confirming that the people they had were the ones they saw at JFK Airport on 9-11. <laughs> and wow. it turns out one of them ends up having a pilot license that went to Flight Safety International in Florida, where only very few went to that school. It's a very special thing in the cover-up because of that flight school. I don't want to get into all that. But he had a he had a uh, an address that belonged to uh, that he lived at in Boston. Which was property owned by one of Osama bin Laden's brothers. <laughs> um, they quiet that one, but they were, they were they, you know, I remember he broke that one. Um, wow, I never heard that. Peter Thomas was the one that he leaked it out, said, Yeah, and that's the one they were keeping an eye on. And then they kept that guy as a material witness. They were calling him the material witness from JFK. But then somebody else got added in there, then became. Zacharias Masali, he started hearing about this arrest. But of course, that's not a big deal. He was arrested two weeks earlier already, you know? So there becomes two material witnesses. And you're hearing, you know, they got material witness arrests, but they've got some people detained. And then all of a sudden, like by September 17th, they said, we are not going to tell you how many material witnesses or how many people we've got so far, you know? But then they start telling us, but there is this idea that maybe there might have been other planes targeted, you know, but then of course that washed away. What did, uh, what did you guys make of Bob Carey showing up in that documentary? I was kind of surprised to see him in there. Now, what was it? Was he on the commission, Mike, or what was his deal? Yeah, he was a 9-11 commissioner, senator from the former senator from Nebraska. And there's a lot of great research about his, the scandal of him involving, uh, 
what he may have participated in in Vietnam. That's a whole other podcast. Um, he comes up in uh, John DeCamp's Franklin Scandal research. I mean, he's... Oh, so he's, was he just there to obfuscate? Was he there to obfuscate? On the he was part of the whitewash. He was part of the 9-11 whitewash. I don't know. What, what do you guys think about Senator Bob Kerry? Well, according to Bob Kerry himself, uh, they didn't have the necessary time yeah. uh, to research the information about Flight 23. I think that's true. Uh, the, but, however, what's uh, interesting to note is that the Joint House Inquiry, which is uh, just a, a smaller inquiry compared to the 9-11 Commission, which was much more broad, Joint House only uh, uh, interviewed intelligence officials. However, the co-chair there, Bob Graham, basically says that they were well aware that there was reports and intelligence regarding a second wave of attacks. Now, where did that come from? Well, it came from the, the testimony of Bones, Zacharias Musawi. Musawi, who was not tortured, by the way, actually testified on his own behalf, uh, who the government said he was a nut job when he wasn't, because the yeah. judge in that case basically said he actually represented himself pretty well. Was he from and Morocco? He, mm -hmm. What's that? Was he from Morocco? Yeah. Yes. What do you think? Okay. He's Moroccan ethnicity, but I think he might have been born in France, but he's you know, Moroccan. Yeah, he has a brother okay. who lives in France, too. Um, basically, what he said was that his own volition, he basically said that he was selected in the initial wave, which made him the 20th hijack of the alleged, but then he was delegated to a second wave of attacks. Mm -hmm. And so he basically told um, his lawyer and, of course, the courts that, um, yes, there was going to be a second wave of attacks. Bob Graham knew about this information anyway. So how did Bob Kerry didn't know this information? I'm not surprised. But also at the same time, it goes back to what Nelson previously just said, uh, that the information was there and it has been there since September 11, 2001, September 13th, but that this information was actually covered up by the FBI. Now, the reason the question is why? Why was this actually covered up by the FBI? Because it leads into the into into the the um, the official story. I hate using that term that people would basically wonder whether these people were even al-Qaeda to begin with. They may not have been. Uh, but also, if there was other groups involved, well, guess what? That contradicts the official narrative, what, what we were told. The official yeah. narrative started on September 27, 2001, when the FBI basically said it was 19 fundamentalists. Four of them were pilots who were basically out of the Hamburg cell. One was a Saudi. And they're the ones who basically attacked the United States. Well, you bring these people in. Well, guess what happens? Well, that throws a monkey wrench into the whole story. And now yeah. the FBI basically has to investigate, well, where these guys come from? Because according to the all the way to the top, bin Laden basically says to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, if we're to believe the story, remember Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, <laughs> and so is Ramzi bin al-Sheikh, they said it was 10 planes. And I really believe it was 10 yeah. planes. Seven and to that, 10 planes. And that who, who knew about this? Well, if, if you listen to Nelson and myself and Paul Thompson and Kevin Fenton and Ray Nowitzki, we're the ones who basically told you that the CIA and the NSA and the Israeli and Saudi intelligence were on the ground and listening to the phone calls, all these people involved. Well, they, they knew about right. the operation before it even happens. You can manipulate the operation itself. And if they said it was 10 planes at the beginning, well, guess what? We better prepare for 10 planes and 10 hijackers and basically, uh, you know, manipulate the story later on because none of those planes were actually crashed anywhere besides the four that were crashed. And now mm -hmm. they can get that story saying it was 19 hijackers. So you know, the question is, why did the FBI cover this up? That's the question. Yeah, and I believe it was more than 10 planes. And, and I mean, it's, there's definitely evidence from, I mean, it could have even been 20. I know it sounds crazy. I know it does, but 
I don't think they it's had enough. They, right. Pretty much all the major airports were compromised. Right. That's just that's the, and we've, we've never seen the footage from Logan uh, of Atta and, and the other hijacker who came down from, from Maine. Like no. from Logan. Yeah, the the footage we've know, seen is, is from Portland. Because, because there was at least five planes targeted out of there. Right, Logan themselves, the officials at Logan said that there are no cameras at Logan Airport. Now, I, I don't know whether that's true or not. Now, yeah, I have on my WordPress uh, regarding um, the security uh, details of of airline of the airline industry in itself. And Logan basically says that they didn't have uh, cameras installed at the security checkpoints. Yeah, Only Dulles uh, had that. I don't know if that's true. But I would happen to say I, I agree with Nelson's premise here that he made previously um, that the reason why they didn't want to show that was that they didn't want to show the additional hijackers. No. Yeah. Like, and they don't want to show the fact that maybe Otta got on those planes like they're implying right. what went on with Flight 23 uh, or, 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 or by another means as maybe even disguised as an airline pilot. So, that's what that, – that's a, there's a documentary that just came out recently about the Malaysian Air – and that's one of the lead, the theories that a very respect, or I don't know if he's respected anymore in his field, but one of the experts and respected uh, researchers of that said that the guy could have, you know, hid in the uh, uh, hatch down there where all the security and all the tech stuff was and messed up, messed up the plane. And, and then that's why it crashed. That's one theory. But I wanted to ask you guys, I forget this guy's name. And I believe it was covered in the 06 documentary, 9-11 Press for Truth. But it tells the story of this guy who supposedly got radicalized got now some of the money gone. he was gonna hijack a plane at jfk he was assigned for jfk so he was jfk too so yes. he was so he was part of the plot and then he kind of stopped believing in it yeah, took the money and gambled it in vegas right yes so yes. What, what's what's the story on that guy you talk a little it. bit you about nailed it you nailed it you're right there was a guy that came here named naiz khan he showed up in early 2000 he was radicalized but he lived in the uk uh, but but you know he thought it all over and thought it was all, you know, then no, I can't do this. He went and spent his money in Vegas and he came back. And then, um, you know, he told the FBI what was going on. They got this plan. They, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm assigned to do a plane at JFK, basically. Wow. So there, there's a lot <laughs> you know, more going on. At can, I, can, I can I interject just a minute? Yeah. Nelson, does that sound familiar? A story about an, a former Al Qaeda operative that gambled money away? That's Jamal Al Fadl. Yeah. A lot of them did that, yeah. There's yeah. quite a bit. There, there are exactly it. There are there are defectors. Believe it or not, there have been quite a few people who defect. It's true. Yes. The first Al Qaeda yeah. operative. For those who don't know who Jamal Fadl is, Jamal Fadl was one of the founding members of Al Qaeda. Yeah. Um, he was a financier. Basically, he was given a hundred thousand dollars by Bin Laden, and he was about he was, he was supposed to procure. I think plutonium, or I could be wrong about the yeah, ingredients. something like that. In, in, uh, meeting somebody, and he gambled the money away. He was a gambler, a womanizer, and stuff. He's married too. Um, actually, when he gambled the money away, he actually went to an embassy in um, not the country it was. He tree, he trees though above Sudan. He trees. Oh, that's way. right. Okay, yeah, you're yeah. the man. Thank you. That's right. He goes into an embassy and basically surrenders himself to the CIA, and they give him off to the FBI. And Patrick Fitzgerald, who's a, a legal counsel out in Chicago, um, basically interviewed him and found it to be totally legit because they had no idea about Al Qaeda at this point. And he gave them the mother note. He gave them everything from the hierarchy, how it was constructed, whether there was a media committee, a sure committee, a military what, committee. What involved. year was this? Did he turn himself in? 96. Uh, 96. 
But I was going to say 95, 96. All right. Yeah, 96. Okay. Oh, the mid, yeah, mid actually, 90s. And, and then he testified in 2000 when the United States government uh, indicted bin Laden for his role in the embassy bombing. Yeah, the embassy bombing. So is this guy still around? Is he still alive? Oh, yeah. He's yeah, yeah, he's, he's lived here. He's supposed yeah. to live here. He went to Germany first, but then he came over and then, you know, snitched and all that. He, he, lives, he lives in a high rise in Manhattan. But you know what? I, I do want to say, do want to point couple things that it's really important about this whole thing of you know why would they cover all these people up and we you know well part of and, 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 and there was part of also what a benefit why would they would is obviously just the kind of the same reason why uh you know the, the the claim of the explosives in the twin towers they didn't want to alarm the public that hey there's still people out there you know yeah. they wanted to you know they wanted to get things back to normal again as soon as possible you know so that's you know that's one of the reasons they don't want to you know they don't you know they want to make our airports appear safe obviously, but when you do that, but when all that's done and when you think about it, if they would have revealed and told the people that yes it was all these eight hundred people you know with Israelis involved too because there's two hundred of them arrested too, if they were to do all that of course they're not going to get the. Um, um, or pretext they want. Now let's take out the Israelis and let's just say they're going to blame just all the Middle Eastern. Mm. Um, that's going to water it down. That's not going to uh, give you the Iraq pretext. How would how would Iraq have been tied into all of that with all these different if if all these people were involved? Wouldn't have been able to. You, you would water it down. So reducing the conspiracy. In the long run, was bought them enough time to try to obviously, uh, you know, make an, a a pretext with Iraq, and then obviously it was done through the Hamburg cell, you know, not not the Saudis. So that's what you know. That's one of the reasons wh why is you know the reasons to contain to have contained it for that long, especially up until the commission reports released. But the other thing uh, to point out. Is you know one of the other things that that's you know it took me a while till I you know I didn't realize this, but it's just like okay, if this plane JF you know this fifth plane, flight twenty three at JFK Airport in New York, you know Long Island, what was it going to target? Pretty close to the twin towers, then Boston Logan, don't you think? Mm -hmm. So what was the real plan? Did something happen that did did? You know, because we don't have an explanation. We don't, you know, of like why Atta goes to, you know, you know, goes to 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 uh, to Portland and and uh, and then you know back and forth. The, the drive doesn't make any damn sense. You know, what what is there is there late minute changes going on? You know, um, and I think it was. It's like I think there were more planes targeted at JFK Airport aside United Airlines and. If you think about it, let's say they were going to target the Twin Towers, just like you look at Flight 77 targeting the Pentagon. You know, it basically turned around and came back to, you know, pretty much the area of where it departed. You know, these planes could have easily done that or launch off, you know. Um, and I think that they were because I found an interesting comment or somebody I talked to several years ago had told me that their ex-husband – worked for Delta Airlines, and on September 10th, 2001, he came back home and told her, 
I had never seen so many FBI agents scouring and searching every plane at the, the Delta terminal. And I can tell you for sure, Delta 1989, which is another plane, suspected plane, out of Logan Airport. It's written about in, in uh, uh, Lynn Spencer's book. They didn't let her speak. She had a lot more to say. I've talked to her before. She knows. You know, they, they don't, it's, it's like even TMZ reducing the, the story to just five. And um, Delta Airlines had like the worst record for like security breaches. You know, they paid the most high, I mean, bad, bad record of people being able to sneak on weapons, you know, problems at the airports. And, you know, if any of the planes that should have been easily, you know, taken over and targeted should have been the Delta planes. And if something happened, you know, at, at JFK airport the night before, if something was moved, you know, obviously the feds are there for a reason because they think something's going to go down, you know, and if Delta was the prime planes to take off, how do we know that these JFK flights could have been taken off at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, and then hit the towers, you know, 15 minutes. And why, why hit at 846? You know, why, why does 175 pass Manhattan fly all over into, Pen into Pennsylvania and everywhere else? Why did it just make a right turn into the towers? Why, you know, why was it hmm. buying so much time? So well, wasn't to, wasn't Otto involved in one final phone call at like airport? Sorry, oh, I'm sorry. What was that, Nelson? I'm saying what I'm saying is that JFK was probably intended to be to be the primary airport for the attack, and if the planes would have taken off from there, it would have looked more like a local incident. You wouldn't have had the FAA, you know, and and and, and um, NT, you know, all the compartments of go you know government shutting down, you know, all of the of the uh, airlines so quickly they did this because obviously we saw a plane coming in that obviously came in from logan from a distance but in a short time distance it could have been you know yeah uh, it could have been much could have been, yeah. more, could have been a lot than what we we saw what do you guys make of um huntley the subsidiary of icts the security company the private security company that, that ran security at some of the airports what do I think about them? Are you guys familiar about them yes. and, and their background yes. and that they're an Israeli company? Do, do you have any thoughts on it? Um, well, they didn't They didn't have – well, Adam, you know this pretty good too. You know this answer pretty well. Uh, you'll you'll be much more inclined to answer it than I am. No, no. Go, Adam. Go. Well, well, Huntley, well it's not even – Huntley wasn't even the main one. It's really, It was really um, – God, I'm, I'm, see, I'm spacing right now. But, uh, What's oh, the I, um, ICTS? No, no, it's not ICTS. Argenbright. 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 Yes, Argenbright was the main security uh, for passenger security at Logan. Huntley doesn't really matter. It doesn't even matter when you've got people that will be disguised, you know, working at the airport. Hey, let's cut to the chase. How about Hussein Al Husseini? Do you like the idea of Hussein Al Husseini? Working at Logan Airport, you like John Doe number two. Working at Logan Airport, you think it's a good idea? Huh. You think Huntley matters? <laughs> no. When you think about, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, ex explain who that is. Hussein Al Husseini, yeah. the third terrorist 
from Jaina Davis's book on the Oklahoma City bombing? Yeah, Iraqi? yeah. Explain, who, explain who he is and where he fits. He worked at Logan Airport all the way up until September 11th as for a catering company that that put foods on the plane. Okay. <laughs> John wow. Doe number two, the one that they all let go, the one that was witnessed by multiple people, the one that ended up going to the psychiatrist before before millennium saying he was having problems because he couldn't sleep. He says, if something bad happens at my work, I feel they're going to blame me. Hmm. Wow. And that's for, I, just to add a little bit on Huntley and, and uh, Augenbright, you know, there's a, there's a fantastic book uh, that's really under, uh, under reported. And I've read it many years ago. I brought it up to Nelson's attention about five years ago. It's called Flight Path, The Fifth Plane of the Threat to Air Force One, uh, written by Kristen Thornstein. Uh, it's one of the very few books besides Paul Thompson's Third Timeline. It talks about uh, the security lapses at, at uh, Logan and Dulles, and also talks about Flight 23. Uh, one of the very few books uh, besides Third Timeline that talks about it. Well, it comes to um, to my attention that uh, Argenbright, which managed some of the security operations at Boston's Logan for Delta, you know, Barrick and West United Airlines, uh, but it was. Um, Augenbright, he didn't manage the specific checkpoints the hijackers path through, but he got blamed anyway because the CIA and the board, uh, the board for Augenbright Security, which had a very long history that Nelson points out, long history of very lax uh, recruiting methods, uh, hiring methods regarding third world employees in the security apparatuses of both Logan and Dulles. Um, Hudley managed to basically uh, conduct security operations at Logan, which basically came under a court filing. And I think the only um, uh, newspaper that basically reported on this, this is huge, by the way, because in the weeks afterwards, they were looking for a scapegoat. Hunley basically came under fire in a civil suit, but they, they but the, the one uh, security operator that got blamed was Argenbright. In fact, Frank Argenbright, the owner of Argenbright Security, is the only person to this day, that basically got any blame for September 11, 2001. Yeah. And it wasn't even his fault. Basically, it was his own board and his yes. own hiring practices from Argonbright Security that yes. led to... It was the internal security that was the problem, not the passenger security. Right. We put right. the, TSA in the TSA in for the passenger security. We don't get to secure you know, all the people who come in, especially if they're international workers. Right. And what, what happened? And why is this a big deal? Because Augenbright and Huntley basically were uh, were replaced by who else? The TSA. So in mm -hmm. other words, what they said, we don't need these private companies to basically funded by the state uh, to basically govern our security. We need to federalize it. And so Bush gave, you know, the full order for that to happen. Yeah. And remember, that's that's Bush, you know, uh, Barvin Bush. You know, they always say they need security, Securicom, and then he yeah. also owned part security. Well, that that was he owned. Yeah, he was a shareholder of Argenbright, but you know, what, what, look what happened to Argenbright. You know, you <laughs> you had you know you had pretty much uh, uh, um, <laughs> the attorney general go up there and fire them on the right there on the podium. You know, well, said, yeah. you know they're fired, they're done with. The other Bush, the other Bush connection, I thought I've always thought this is interesting. It, it could be coincidence or benign, but probably not. Um, was uh, Poppy Bush 
at that conference. He's at a hotel uh, with uh, Bin Laden's brother yeah, that yeah, morning, and they, wa they watched the attacks Ironically. unfold together. Yeah. I mean, too what bad, the hell? Too bad, too bad they didn't hijack one of the planes he was on. <laughs> Jesus. Well, and this is what you know. This is what Donna Marshall Connor always told me. She lost her daughter on 9/11. She said. I was in Canada when the attacks happened. I couldn't fly back to America to check on my family. But if you were a bin Laden or a member of the Saudi royal family, you could fly. Oh, no. And I think that's such an important point to bring up in all this. Oh, it's actually not very accurate. It's not very true. It's actually well, they actually weren't able to fly. They it took. They were taking some of them were able to international take flights. Planes. Nelson. Yes, I'm sure about this. This has been debunked. It's What's been that? Debunked. They left right away. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 it happened. I, it happened. Uh, it happened when they just before they reopened. It happened after they reopened too, because uh, according to Richard Clark, by the way, uh, basically said that he didn't authorize uh, the the, um, the 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 for the flights to for these Arabs and Bin Laden family to leave. Remember, they they had to go to Massachusetts. That's where some of the Bin Laden family lived at. Yeah. They also went to Kentucky. They also went to Oklahoma, and yeah, uh, they Texas. had to give up all these princes that were. You know, there's a lot but of them the, were horse owners. The Kentucky yes. Derby, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, they didn't yeah. leave the country until the until uh, September 20th. They went to right. a lot. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that was still... covered by Vanity Fair, by the way. So you yeah. think that they were all properly interrogated and, and vetted? Oh, absolutely and... not. Right. Now, okay. Give me a break. So, I'm, I'm telling you a story about about Flight 23. You're just and... saying the timeline is is it's a little later than what like Michael Moore puts out there. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. He he yeah he, he he took it up. I think it was a Vanity Fair that started that rumor. Because we, this is interesting too, and Daniel Hopsicker dug this up. One of the private planes that was used to usher the Saudis was the same plane that John McCain used during the 2000 election for his campaign. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, and it was. I think it was owned by a TBN uh, Christian Zionist school, which is interesting. The, the plane, yeah, right? Wow. If you can believe it, yeah, that the TBN Broadcasting there. Um, I'll have to dig the. I'll, I'll send you guys. Network. Yeah, I'll send you guys the article. I'll dig it up. But oh, uh, yeah, sure. Hopsicker is really good with like the tail numbers and and the the drug running implications and like exactly. Wolfgang Boringer. Whatever happened to Wolfgang Boringer? Do you you guys know much about him? Uh, Otta's supposed uh, drinking buddy down in Florida, who who was going to be apprehended and said you can't I, I arrest me. Hopsicker. I mean, he's the one who's brought it to the attention. But I mean, I I know about him, but I don't I don't like not keep up. I don't keep up. Yeah, it's just it's basically just you know talking about other people who were like tertiary and who were kind of shady and connected to the hijackers. And there's so much intrigue in Florida that I also feel like that doesn't get talked about a lot. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we can talk about the attempt to, the the attempt on Bush. <laughs> I, I asked Andy Card about that. He told me that wasn't true, but he might he might not have been uh, totally truthful about that. I don't know. I have a hop sticker agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I agree with you guys too, man. From what I've researched, from what I've researched and looked like, that mirrors what happened uh, to that anti-Taliban fellow. Oh uh, yeah, uh, oh yeah, Masood. General yeah. Masood a couple days you earlier. Nailed you nailed it. Yeah, right. I'm gonna oh. have an I'm gonna have an actual article coming out really soon. It's gonna get into a little bit of bringing that up at the end. But the bigger discovery that I came out, I think it's important, and I think I can talk about it now. But that about uh, Solomon Rushdie. Mm. He was warned not to come, not to fly in the country before 9-11. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, somebody got him last year. They they uh, cut him up. Really, that's, I just read a New that's Yorker what piece. with the article with. I'm starting with that incident, but then I'm going to get go back in time. I'm like, you remember when he was a threat? 
Did you know he was a threat during that? That was uh, man. That was a bummer to read that Cat Stevens basically supported the fatwa against him. Did you, did you hear about that? In the, in the I think in the eighties, Cat Stevens. Well, he's used off Islam. Yeah, yeah, made some not supporting, but just basically made a statement like, "Well, the tenets of our true belief uh, says that anyone who commits the, you know this kind of blasphemy is to be killed." And I, I didn't want to believe that, but I don't know. There's a couple sources on that. Do, do you? Because I love Cat Stevens' music. I mean, I've heard this before, and actually, you know, it's funny because it's not in the tenets of the Quran. It's basically uh, coming from the hadiths of Ibn Tamiyyah and other scholars, and uh, basically are not attributed to the Prophet Muhammad. So I, I find that funny. I have heard this, Mike. Uh, it's interesting. They're misinterpreting know. what it really is. Yeah, exactly. Right. That they're extremist kind of views. Yeah, indeed. Because, uh, because I, I never would have thought Cat Stevens as a Salafist, you know. Something. Well, I think what happened was he almost drowned and his brother had given him a, a Quran and a Bible. And, and he said, God, if you save me or Muhammad, if you save me, I promise I'll give myself to you. And he chose the Quran after that. I think that's kind of the cliff notes of of that story. But, but what's interesting, there's an interview with Cat Stevens uh, that took place not long after 9-11. I have to believe he was put on a no-fly list or he, yeah, he, he, was, tar he, he was targeted. Right, he's he he's right, being interviewed right. and he breaks down and starts crying. And mm -hmm. I was like, wow, the guy who wrote Peace Train, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, for him to, uh, to say that, oh, we got a super chat here, guys. We do have a couple chats I want to get to. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Okay. See Kevin Crow. Thank you for the ten dollars. What are the best detailed books, ebooks, providing a clear narrative and timeline, timeline, well sourced and minimally speculative, which you and Ryan Dawson would agree authoritatively address the main issues? Wow, that's going to be hard because I uh, the only thing you're going to find between me and Dawson as far as books uh, in relation to any of this, you're gonna, it's going to be Piper books. So it's going to be Collins, Piper. False, yeah, false flags, template for terror, and the Judas goats. That's it. Because everything else, I like, no, we're very different. Um, Watchdogs didn't bark, maybe, or is that more of the Saudi that, angle? Watchdogs didn't bark. Yeah. No, well, I don't know if he's into. I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's a. Uh, you know, supports that or that's because you know I would I would still I'm someone that would still endo, you know. Uh, you know, endorse Peter Lance, something as, you know, mm. you know, basic as that. And that's easy to get, you know, it's not, it's not a book hard to get, you know, his books on, he's got three of them. So well, I just, just because of being, getting familiar with everything. And especially the big thing is 1993. You got to know all of 1993. Yeah. Don't start this stuff from 2001. It doesn't go there. <laughs> well, if my, my, uh, Books I would I would uh, suggest would be of course Terror Timeline by Paul Thompson. Uh, it, the whole book is basically news articles and stuff similar to what Nelson does in his films, uh, which is I think the best way to tell a story. Um, also Kevin Fenton's uh, Disconnecting Dots that talks just about Alex Station and the NSA. But if you want a more broader I think foreign policy type of uh, understanding with led to 9/11, I think there's a couple of books there and, and just to you know, Nelson mentions uh, um, uh, Michael Collins Piper. Um, I'll go on another direction as well, so I won't repeat. So I would probably say um, uh, Ali Soufan's The Black Banners was an excellent book that talked about uh, what led to the events of September 11, 2001, and what came afterwards with the war on terror. Um, 
probably um, any book by Edward Said is uh, almost a, a, a something that is barely mentioned anymore. I, to me, he's the prominent author regarding Orient, uh, Orient, or sorry for my New York accent, Orient, Oriental, Orientate. I can't say it. I can't do so, it sometimes either. Yeah, Orientist. I it. I hate my accent. I, I, yeah. I wish I had Richard Cox's accent. So I, yeah. Um, any book by Edward Said uh, basically is um, recommended reading, actually. So um, I would suggest reading. Yeah, Peter Lance, as Nelson said, Peter Lance is fantastic. Thousand Years for Revenge, that's a great book. Um, probably uh, Triple Cross, that's another one. And yeah, uh, Ray Nowitzki, I just interviewed him. That was He was fantastic, by the way. Um, oh, no way. Oh, I want to go to see yeah, that. I've been I, wanting to have him on for a while. Yeah, I've, I've wanted him on for many years. Um, him and John Duffy got to talk with them. Their book was fantastic, and that's the Watchdog Zimbart that you mentioned, Mike. So, yeah, there's, just write off those books right there. It would be great to start with. Yeah, and you know, the thing too, Adam, I think with 9-11, and you can say this about the JFK assassination, there you could even use a mainstream book or an author who's quote-unquote mainstream and still find a couple pages or a paragraph in there that, that's a nugget. That, that you can use as a puzzle piece for a different narrative and a larger picture. So that's why I don't automatically just write off something from the mainstream or I want to read everything. I want to look at everything. I want to see what the source is. I want to know if, if any of the information changed after a certain time. Um, you know, what, what media outlet is it? Uh, you know, there's, there's a book, I think it was independently published. I, I, I can't remember the name or the, or the author, um, but it's basically details the search for the black boxes at the World Trade Center. And yeah. that's, an, that's another part of the official story that, Adam, I think you and I have talked about. I don't know if we have on air, but I, based on that research, I believe they found two, maybe three of the four uh, black boxes at the World Trade Center. because on the they plane, found all four. They found all four. I think they did. Because one of them, so each plane has like two, because one records like what, the flight path and the... Mm -hmm. And the and the other technical information, and one has actual audio acoustic information from the plane, That's right? The cockpit voice recorder, and okay. the other flight data recorder, which is the which is radar, uh, from, yeah. right. from ground ground terminal, right? So it, it was uh, God, what was his, Nick DeMassey, Maybe was his name? Was uh, one of the yes. and and um, uh, Ballone, Mike Ballone, I think. I have to look this up because it's funny. I had dinner with a friend like last fall, and he 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 knows that I've been into the 9/11 research for a while. And he out of the blue just mentioned this aspect of it that he just bought, he oh, spent wow. a lot of money buying this book, uh, which is either out of print or hard to find, and, and it details the recovery efforts at Ground Zero, um, specifically looking for the black boxes because officially they didn't find any any of them right. at, yeah. at Ground Zero. Yeah, so, I believe it's Malone. I believe Adam's right. Yeah. So that that leads to that question. Then why why would they want to cover that up? Why why you know has that oh, not I'll been really? That. I'll answer that. Yeah, go you for it, Nelson. Why do they cover it up? Simple, because of the same things we've learned from Flight Twenty Three. If these if these hijackers could get access early access to the cockpit somehow, whether it's going to be below, whether it's going to be riding on the jump seat, the thing that we must remember, and it's always been forgotten, I mean, never noticed. By every even even the no planners and the switcheroos, the people who believe in the plane swap theories, both those planes instantly departed off course. They did not go the commercial route that they were supposed to go. They didn't just go the commercial route and then noticeably get hijacked and go off route. No, 
And that's what that's the way people wanted to, that's the I think the, the establishment would rather us to think. No, those planes were, were supposed to uh, instantly go out of state north into New Hampshire, then veer left, going you know across eventually into the, the upper part of upper part of a uh, 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 northern part of uh, New York. Well, both those planes turned around instantly in Massachusetts and flew across Massachusetts. They're not, they're not supposed to fly across Massachusetts. Right. And, you know, besides all the other things I, I mentioned, yeah, what does that tell you? It tells you so, that these, you know, these hijackers, these operatives took over the plane, had control of the plane as soon as it take, took off. Very and quickly, 15 minutes in one case, right? Huh? We're What's talking 15, 15 minutes in one of the ones that hit the towers was yeah. hij hijacked and off course within 15 minutes of taking no, off. It was, no, I'm telling you, it wasn't. I'm telling you, it was off course immediately when it took off, not 15 minutes later. Okay. Yes. Well, that's huge if that's the case. Well, I'll show you watch my film, Boston Logan 9-11. I show I, it. And I have. Great. I can't I mean, it's, I'm sure that film's three hours. The, the Bojinka oh, yeah, Maxima is six yeah. hours. So, yeah. And that's the thing, Nelson, that this information is... Uh, it's a lot. There's, it's dense yeah, and there's so much of it, but... It, it's yeah. important, though. It's it's very important because this 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 really uh, contradicts the official story in ways that's tangible. Yeah. yeah, fifteen minutes, like what you're saying. That's when they 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 verbally. That's when the towers knew this plane was not in control anymore. But they knew it was off course because it doesn't it didn't fly the normal. There's there's a there's a normal like flow of traffic for the commercial aviation. They're all yeah. supposed to go that way when you go across, and it wasn't even going that. I mean, now, wasn't there almost a collision between 175 yeah, and another? Yep. Yeah, right. Three times? On 175. That's crazy. Yeah. That, that's well, crazy. Look, the author, the author uh, Lynn Spencer, that was shown in the Flight 23 thing, she's covered that, but she only showed two of them. I, I actually hit her up and I told her, did you know there was actually three times it almost got hit? I and mean, that's how off course it was. That's, you know, not even, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, well... So much information uh, within 9-11, and uh, we're coming up on nearly an hour. Um, are, are you working on uh, any other documentaries, Nelson, that you want to clue us in on, or what you got coming down the pipe? Or you said a new article that you're working on? Well, yeah, I'm going to have a new article soon. It's going to be about uh, Solomon Rushdie and um, some other little interesting things. But the, the next thing I'm trying to get out done is a short film about Muhammad Atta being gay. I think I may I may have actually heard something about that. Yes, I heard this before. <laughs> but I mean, Amanda Keller, I got to say, twenty two years, twenty three years ago, was pretty hot. I mean, when she was the stripper down in Florida, you know, who had the kittens that ought to cut up. Supposedly, I don't know if you heard that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. She was a babe. Yeah. She could have been a beard though, Nelson. She could have just been a front for him with her pink wig. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about this story is like it, it's not from it's not with some one off. Actually, a couple of people have reported yeah. uh, that he was a homosexual, and yeah. um, you know, who knows? You know? Oh, he's so constantly what? angry. I mean, you know, might as well. So what's what's the angle on that then, Nelson? What's what? Why is it? Well, the the, the angle is 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 going back to the Boston Logan film, and I'm just kind of reiterating a few things. That yes. Yeah. I entertained this idea that maybe he slipped out. Yes, I entertained this idea that there could have been a second Anta, okay? But was the one that we know, was he actually gay? So I, I go through the, the whole thing of him in Florida, you know. Uh, well, he looks like he's wearing eyeliner. Eye in the famous photo, Nelson, he looks like he's wearing guy liner. He, he looks... <laughs> 
Well, he likes taking photos of drag queens. Wow. That's in, that's sequel. That also, I mean, so that's also like the narrative, and, and Hopskirt gets into this too. And I'd love to have him on again, man. He, he's he's hard to book though. I have had him on once. Yeah. He, he doesn't like 9-11 truthers, and I, I get that. I understand that. And he, well, and, I and, he and I, uh, but um, uh, what was the point I was going to make? Atta behaved in ways that were not akin to a radical. Uh, not at all. Muslim, and they and, and and some say, well, this is so he could blend in in America, and he was drinking, and he's doing this and doing that. But yeah, he, he just sounded like an angry psychopath. He could have, yeah. you know. And, and his father came out and said he called me afterwards, and he was alive. Do you guys give any credence to that, or is that bullshit? No, I don't. I, you know, he came out. He did say that, and later on came out and said that the Israelis were uh, they had him and Used later him. he admitted that he's dead. Probably, yeah. Uh, so I don't take much in credence into that. Now, you know, I have my own theories about Atta. You know, he has a very, there's like two Atta's here. There's one in Egypt and there's one in the United States. Now, if you want to say that Atta was homosexual and he's an intelligence operative, I don't think that's more important than the fact that Muhammad Atta and the agenda of having him as the main coordinator of the 9-11 attacks is kind of contradictory to how he grew up. And this is where I, I tell truthers, you don't dismiss the fact that the hijackers, you know, hijack planes, always being becoming an honest investigator, look into the backgrounds of these people, and you'll find yeah. that the motivations of some of them really didn't match up to what we were told by the United States government and the FBI. And the main one of all is Ziad Jarrah. You know, Mohammed Atta grew up in a very affluent uh, neighborhood. He actually was a the son of a lawyer. His mother was a teacher. Um, wasn't raised as a religious fundamentalist. Wasn't he an engineer? Only until he got, what's that? Did Didn't somebody... Otto go to engineering school? Yes, he did. Uh, and so did Ziad Jarrar. And um, what they found was, was that they both like almost mirrored each other. And both of them were raised in very moderate households. Ziad Jar actually was a playboy when he was actually growing up and basically was friends with Jews and Christians. Amaminata basically was a very moderate student. He wasn't very uh, overly intelligent. He wasn't stupid. But he, when they both went to Germany, it basically whereas we saw a noticeable turn in their attitudes and basically made you scratch your head and basically say, you know, where did this religious fundamentalist come from? It basically wasn't like that when they were growing up. So it basically breaks the mold in regards to how religious fundamentalism uh, came to be regarding both of these people. And you'll notice a very glaring contradiction in regards to my study of religious fundamentalism is that it begins very early in one's life. And it comes from a very poverty-stricken background. Well, that wasn't the case with Muhammad Atta, and that wasn't the case with Ziad Jara. Both came from very moderate families who didn't have religious training. And when you look at the backgrounds of both of these people, you notice one thing in common was that the intelligence services very much were heavily involved. Now, according to Muhammad Atta, he was actually recruited with the Muslim Brotherhood at a very early age. It wasn't with the brother, but was with a, 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 crap, uh, a faction within the Brotherhood in the engineering degree of, of Egypt. Later on, it became part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Zia Jara basically didn't come from any background whatsoever. However, when you look at his family background, it was awash with, with intelligence services, mainly Israel and Libya and Germany. And, you know, one of the few people that 
basically touches on the subject that's right next to me is uh, Nelson Martins. And when you look up at the, the backgrounds of these people, you basically say, well, now it's starting to make sense how this operation could have been successful with these two at the helm. Yeah, and, and we I think we've talked about this a little bit before and, and some of the research and, and, and Ryan Dawson may even think this as well. Uh, Jaro was kind of kept separate from the other hijackers, from the so-called muscle hijackers. Mm -hmm. And none of the phone calls or transcripts from Flight 93 uh, allude to four men. They allude, allude to three men. Mm -hmm. uh, that could be because Jaro was kept up front or he was in a different seat. Um, but I tend to think that Maybe he slipped off the plane. Maybe he never got on the plane. Maybe he was a handler for these other hijackers. What, what do you, because of his Mossad and Israeli intelligence connections, what do you guys make of Gerard? Because he was not your run of the mill, frothing at the mouth um, terrorist. He, he was he was at this school, supposedly recruited by an older gentleman into the ideology. Um, there's some great films that talk about it. Uh, had a had a, a girlfriend, or maybe even a wife, or at least a girlfriend that he talked to up until just before the attacks. Yeah, no, um, Ziad Jara has a, uh, a couple of family members that were involved with uh, Israeli and, and Libyan intelligence. In fact, uh, I think it was his, a cousin or the uncle, Assam al Jara, mm -hmm. uh, that was involved with the Abu Nudal organization. And that's something that Nelson extensively covers, even to this day. I think he's one of the very few, if Only not on Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> Only for my Patreons, but yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> and he has, an, uh, of course, everybody knows now because Ali, he was. Uh, made uh, available to the public inquiry it was in 2000, I think 11 or 12, Ali al Jara uh, basically was arrested in Lebanon by uh, Hezbollah and of course the Lebanon Security Services for his role with Israeli intelligence that goes back 25 years and also has a has a brother Joseph al Jara who basically is involved with helping him for the last 10 years involved with Israeli intelligence. And he got a lot of money doing it. I think it was over $300,000. He was paid by Israeli intelligence to involve himself in operations by Hezbollah. And of course, involved with the assassination of a known Hezbollah militant leader, um, uh, Imam Magnia, one of the last operations before. That, that led to the arrest of Ali yeah. Ajar. And I mean, you're talking about Ziajar basically goes to Germany and then through Afghanistan. And Al Qaeda supposedly does background checks. Not knowing that his whole family's infested with Israeli and Libyan intelligence, yeah. they got they HR back decades and doesn't realize that hey, this guy basically is involved with Israel. Kill him! No, he's involved mm. with hierarchy. Not not going through just to by the way, just to talk about the the ridiculousness of this. You have three young guys, Marwan Al Shea, Ziad Jar, and Marwan Alta. They go right to Germany. Who do they meet? They meet the hierarchy of Al Qaeda. Osama bin Laden, Dr. Ahmed Al-Shaziri, and Mohammed Atef, who's a military commander. No, that, you know, not like La Cosa Nostra, where you have to build your way up years of trust. No, they go right meet right to the top. And not only just meet the top, but they're involved with the most important operation in Al Qaeda's history. I mean, you yeah. know. <laughs> it's like something out of uh, that show with uh, that show that you like, Derek, uh, uh, Homeland, or what was the. Yeah, Homeland with Claire Danes. Claire Danes. It's like something out of an episode of Homeland. It's very, it's almost cartoonish, Adam. Yes. That's absurd. very cartoonish. I, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's amazing when you think about it because when Flight 93 crashed, one of the first items that they collected, the FBI did, was a business card that was found with Ramsey Ben Al Shib's uh, handwriting. And then the other yeah. side, Asim Al Jar's number. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, and there, it is weird too because, there, because there's this time period in 1995 where Ziad Jarar is supposed to be living in Yemen, okay, but he has an apartment in New York living with his cousin and another guy, Jordanian, Naimi San. 
1996, I believe. 97. Yeah. This yeah. Well before Bin Laden fought was all before that. Now, is, is, this is something I've, I've heard about, but I don't know how accurate it is. Were, were there also Israelis following the hijackers down in Hollywood, Florida, near yes. Hollywood? Because yeah. I know Rob, Robbie Martin's done a lot of work on this. What do you guys know about that? That's true. Yeah, well, Gerald Shea, uh, which is unfortunately an unknown artifact, by the way, Gerald Shea memo goes into very much detail about this. Gerald Shea, by the way, is a retired lawyer out of San Bispo, California, and he basically did an independent investigation into the Israeli intelligence ring to the two rings, the moving front companies and, of course, the art student ring, and basically did a huge uh, expose and documentary uh, history regarding all the people that were arrested. And it was over 200 people, the largest foreign intelligence operation ring in U.S. history. Well, you had those ones trying to penetrate defense installations, and there was yeah. a whole DEA report yeah. on them. But you had them all over in Oklahoma. They're in Oklahoma, yeah. too. And they were trying to sell the cheap knockoff art to people door right. to door. And these were all defense uh, officials and yeah. people in our government. Um, but then there's a group that is always kind of showing up where the hijackers are. In Hollywood, Florida is one of the spots, right? Some of the hijackers lived in Hollywood, Florida. Yes. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, one of the dancing Israelis, actually, when he got arrested on New Jersey, actually had a driver's license for Hollywood, Florida. And I think it was Omar Mamri. Excuse me if it wasn't one. But it's one of them. And okay. basically lives just 30 miles south to where Muhammad Atta Muhammad he lived. And I said, well, you know, that's too close to home for me. What is the hell is he doing down there? The right? Yeah. And there's, yeah. A, who's a, there's a moving front company also located in Florida. That's uh, yeah. classic international movies. They were down there working on their tans. Come on. Yeah, moving, yeah, and I mean, moving systems incorporated. That was another right, Florida exactly. one. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, but when you look at the whole spectrum of how uh, the Israelis could have been involved in this, when, and this is a theory of mine, I have no evidence for this because they were all deported anyway. But my theory is this the CIA and the NSA were listening to phone calls of Bin Laden. But if you wanted to, the real intelligence, which is on the ground next to these hijackers and affiliates, well, that came from the Israelis and Saudis because it was reported by the Gerald Shea memo as well as other reports that were coming out later. And Nelson also talked about this in an article that he wrote uh, years prior about how the Israelis were actually seen in New Jersey in a video store. And I think I forget. The, it was, the, it was um, you know who I'm talking about. Sword, the, the, sword, the, uh, the guy wrote, wrote the Star Star sword, sword, right. Um, Who wrote that book? I have it, and I can space it out too. Well, didn't didn't, Wayne Madsen? Wayne Madsen, thank you, Wayne Madsen. Yes. Didn't didn't the Israelis warn us though that something was going to happen? I mean, they were they were at least warned us specifically about the Marwan al Shehi who flew one seventy five. That's right. They gave twenty names. Really, one of them. They gave twenty names, and only four of them showed up as hijackers. Yeah. Oh, that okay. happened in so, August of 2001. Yeah. Everybody was giving us intelligence at that time. Yeah. That's why it's but, no but, big but, deal. But also remember that on but also remember in the Washington Post, I'm sorry, not Washington Times, September 10th, there's also an article warning saying that Israel can pull off can't pull off a, a terrorist attack. They're dangerous and and run Arabs and make it look like an Islamic, you know, attack. Yep. So and there's there's books about that too. This is another thing that Ryan Dawson's brought to my attention of the Mossad running Arabs or yeah. you know having having Mossad members infiltrate these mm-hmm. uh, Arabic terrorist groups. To, yes. 
there, I forget the names of the books. Um, maybe Eric, you remember the know, little drummer girl. Little drummer girl might be one of them. There's oh, several I never, of them. I never ever read that. Got another chat here, Irving. One of the cheering Israelis who worked for Urban Moving Systems, Yuren Shmuel, in Weehawken, New Jersey, had a Florida driver's license and lived in Miami Beach, 20-something miles from where the hijackers lived. Yes, I think, right. Adam, you were just saying that. Yeah. I, thank you for that. Uh, yeah. Um, also, at the same time, you know, uh, you brought up Robbie Martin's uh, podcast about the, uh, the the drug ring, the ecstasy ring, and um, the, uh, the hijackers living in Florida. Uh, to me, that was his best podcast he ever done and it was actually i think it was five hours that podcast itself was like oh you know it was fantastic um very few people talk about this and you what you know you talk about the list of names that the israelis gave to us government well how would they know this well only because they had intelligence operatives on on the ground which was yeah. unbeknownst to the to the uh, state department and to the fbi well that mirrored what the saudis were doing out west the Saudis out west were monitoring Al-Bidar and Al-Hazmi and Hani Hanjur. Out east, it was the Hamburg cell, but those were the Israelis. No, Adam, where's... You know, it's where's, funny. Where's, in, my, in my film, Bojinka Matsunum, I show by September 16th or 17th, Carl Cameron says, the Israeli Mossad has just told us, give us a list of 200, wow. <laughs> 200 <laughs> names to go after, which is, you know, ironic because... There's going to be 200 Israelis rounded up my, later on. <laughs> my question is, where's the line between monitoring and running? Al-Qaeda. And manipulating. Well, there's the manipulating. conspiracy, right? We, you know, that, that leads to speculation. And leads Am I to off the mark? Right. To at least put that out there, though. You know, but that's why you'll, you'll, you won't ever know, but you'll believe. You can believe whatever you want. But the thing is, you want to know something. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing that, these, that the FBI did, was that they did when when they when they detained all those Arabs in the September 13th, when they detained the Saradapas in, in out west, when they detained all the Israelis in the in the days and weeks prior to nine, after 9-11, was that they all broke one law. And they all broke the, the, the initial law that they broke was that they overstayed their visas. And because the FBI by law has to hand them over to the INS, what is the first form of punishment? Well it's not they, they get arrested, they get deported. And because they went, they got deported back to their home countries, they don't have an extrajudiciary um, exchange program where they have to go back and, and answer to you know, why they were detained in the first place. No. All those people detained, but the Israelis and the Saudis, yeah. all of them are back home and we'll never be able to understand yeah. what they knew about 9-11 in the first place because they all got deported. You think they're coming back here? Hell no. No. There's the instead, 9-11 right there. Instead, instead of torturing or doing anything to the thousand people that we had here, right. we went and got a thousand people overseas instead right. after a couple and just had nothing to do with it. Right. <laughs> Most of them, nothing well, to we do. Opened, we opened over here and tortured them instead. We opened yeah. up Abu Ghraib, is what yeah. we did. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah, we seventy percent yes. of Americans. To go back to your point earlier, um, seventy percent of Americans believe that Iraq and Saddam Hussein were involved. In the attacks, so Darn, that's the pivot. That when, that that when the war started, you're saying? Yeah, when they sold the Iraq War to us in late '02, early '03. What's At that? First, I thought it was true. I, I first I thought it was, but then once I saw Michael Moore's movie, I was just like, oh. 
It, I, I got to give Michael Moore a little bit of credit. You know, at least he, he yeah. dipped a pinky. To, he he dipped a little. Uh, he dipped a little Mike Tyson pinky into the waters. You know, I mean, he's he's a limited hangout. Whatever you want to call yeah, him, show yeah, whatever. Agree, you know, he's he's a he's a Democratic Party freaking yeah. hack who who endorsed West Clark. Uh, Come on, look, you look know. who his agent is. Look who his manager is. It's Ari Emanuel's. Uh, it's uh, you know. Well, he was in with the Weinstein boys for a while in Maryland. Yeah, yeah. What, what but, was Ari Emanuel or what's it? No, it's what's. Which one is it? The uh, no, it's the brother of Ari Emanuel. That's his. That's his talent agent, Michael Moore's talent agent. Oh, is it really? Yeah, uh, there's Ari. What? There's three Emanuel brothers. Oh, Ari, we got Darren. The, the scientist, and then the Rom. Oh, Rom Emanuel. No, yeah, that is okay. I'm thinking. Yes, I'm sorry. I had it right. I was thinking. Yeah, uh, was Ari. Thinking, Ari's oh, the yeah, entertainment entertainment yeah, industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Darren Harvey says Sean is right. Ziad Uncle is the most important draw. Now, he's the guy with the brilliant white hair who kind of like who you, you see the photo of. Uh, and he, he was uh, basically a double agent, but, but recruited by the Mossad, the uncle, Jarrah's uncle. Mm. Now, what's he doing? Like, is he podcasting? Does he have like, what's he, uh, is he getting paid by by uh, the Knesset? Or like, what, what's his, like, what does he do every day? Is he making olive, like, is he making olive oil or like? You know, these guys, it's funny because Eric and I actually just talked to somebody who lives in Israel and is from Israel. And uh, a cousin of his um, went on a date with a girl from Israel whose brother was one of the dancing Israelis. And he found out about this. And he was like, what the hell is this all about? Like, you know, because he said, he said Israel is a small place. Everybody knows this shit. If we, If the four of us here in America know about it. You better believe they know about it in Israel. It's a small place, and and she was like, "No, he was innocent. He, you know, he was caught up in all this." And and, and he was like, "F this, I'm out of here." But that just shows you that that there there's way more to this story that more people know about, and, you, and you're not going. to... I mean, these guys went on like the equivalent of the Tonight Show when they went back there, and they said, we're here, we were here we were here to document the event. When they got home, I mean, yeah. it was like that day they went on that show. Believe it or not. And now that guy, that's the who's that? He's prime minister, or he's isn't he prime minister now, or 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 uh, the the host of that show? Yeah, he he ended up becoming a high up uh, politician in, in Israel. Yeah, what's his name? I, says, Pierre, I forget, I forget his name. Asim Asim Jarrah. I don't know who's Asim. Is he the cousin, the uncle? He's the uncle. So he's like the uncle Ruslan. Remember the the marathon bomber, Uncle Ruslan, going on TV and decrying them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's he's the spurned uncle. <laughs> All right, we got another chat here. <laughs> this stuff no, is no money. Where's the cha-ching? <laughs> I know, right? It's just so okay. The Israelis told the CIA, not the FBI, nor State Department, the proper domestic agencies that hijackers were in the U.S. According to the path to 9/11, lost warnings and fatal errors article. Yeah, I, listen, that goes back to. Um, a story that uh, Sean shared with me once, Sean Russell, um, that I didn't know about, that uh, it came from a book, either George Tennant's book or somebody else's book, where George Tennant's actually coming down from a drink or two, and he's pretty drunk. He's in a pool, and he basically mutters, the Israelis fucked us. And um, I wonder if yeah. the uh, pre-intelligence operations that the CIA and the Saudi Israelis will work on one another. I, I can't I can't say that with any, you know, factual basis behind it. I speculate that they might have been, but at some point at time that the Israelis cut off the Israelis and Saudis and basically uh, 
whether they're sharing intelligence on the hijackers themselves and stop sharing intelligence so that the attacks can happen, which benefited, of course, Israel, Saudi Arabia. Right. Well, it's like an onion, Adam. I mean, because I do believe that there was Israeli, Saudi, and Pakistani involvement. So it's not just a simple, this is such a nuanced, big thing. And it's hard to just, because people want the sexy, they want the evil, they want the easy explanation. They want the one sentence, they want you to call it an inside job, they want you to call it this. Yeah. It's so much more nuanced and, and, and gray area than that. So I'll, it, I got to give credit. It's Sean says it's Darren Harvey that found that story. Yeah, Sean yeah. says, uh, anyone else old enough to remember the ecstasy boom in the late 90s and early oh, yeah. 2000s? Sean Atwood, Eric, didn't Atwood bring a lot of ecstasy in and he was at the Maricopa? Yeah, Atwood, Atwood was an ex ecstasy dealer in, uh, I think, in Kingpin. Arizona. Yeah, I don't know if he was a kingpin. I mean, I think he, he got pretty high up with it, but uh, you know, oh, Nelson, so you what was he doing extensively? Where was he selling it? Cookie, cookie, or Right. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to bring up, but no, but who, but, but Atwood. I've heard his name Atwood. I mean, what? Well, Sean Atwood's awesome. I mean, he has Ryan Dawson on. Oh, he, he's fantastic. He's, he's awesome. Him yeah. British Sean, Eric, what was his nickname? I think so. And what, I, I think. Where was, was he doing it at? Where was he? I, I think Arizona. Oh, that would have been the, that would have been the leftovers of the Orgat Empire. Interesting. <laughs> Are yeah. you guys familiar with that story? Jacob Orgran, they called him Cookie. They don't know it. They're not, they're no, not no, no, <laughs> we're not, I gotta be, I, I gotta become a Patreon, Nelson. I will. Okay. Oh, Once story, upon a yeah. time, Holy there was a, a woman named Heidi Fleiss. You ever heard of her? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I know about Heidi Fleiss. Yeah, DC Madam. Well, or, uh, she, Hollywood, Hollywood Mad. Uh, yeah, yeah, she. Well, I know who Heidi Fleiss is. Yeah, remember when she got, she got, she ended up getting in trouble, and the boyfriend she had was a guy named Ivan Nagy, Hungarian Jewish guy. Uh, was the producer for uh, Starchki and Hutch and other things. Um, he basically got her into the business originally, and he was going out with her, you know, with an open relationship, party and all that. Well, um, there was even a tie-in, believe it or not, between that, believe it or not, because um, of, uh, uh, I forget which major studio, I, I, there's so many, um, there's even a tie-in that goes in there with the, uh, Arnon Milken, you know, the one that they... Mm -hmm. Who you produced know. JFK? Yeah, produced a lot of other movies. Right? He also produced Under Siege, my movie. Yeah. Right, I'm a I'm a chef. It's not Columbia Pictures. It's I forget what chef. But, but there's you know because there's clientele going on there. But the big guy that took over the business because Nagy ended up getting out eventually. Uh, the the main guy that took over was a guy named Koki Orgad, or his name is Jacob Orgad. He was the he was an Israeli, Moroccan descent, Mossad, <laughs> and. He didn't. Just, he wasn't even. He didn't just get into that. When he was already getting into this business of the of call girls, um, he was kind of an entrepreneur. He uh, was was one of the first people distributing and uh, uh, selling beepers. He had a whole beeper at that chain called JJ Beepers, and he, he started as an electronic store. So uh, originally, and eventually, it you know escalated into you know ecstasy and selling cocaine and. Uh, Apparently, he had uh, all the phone numbers of all the all the police, LAPD, everybody in law enforcement, the FBI, anything that was watching him to bust him. Why? Because he was tied into Amdocs. Mm. Mm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he was the one. He was busted in 1997, and eventually a couple years later, they really charged him in 99. 
He is the story that you hear Carl Cameron talk about in the Fox report, a 1997 drug bust and all that in LA. Yeah. It's Koki Orgad, the guy really? that took over Heidi Fleiss's business. Wow. So that's Amdocs Infosys, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You can find okay. out. I have a Patreon video about it. I, I talk about it. I asked Carl Cameron about the uh, Israeli report at a Trump event, and I was there dressed as Donald Trump. And I asked him about it, and his, his fucking draw, jaw hit the floor, and he got the hell away from me. <laughs> Eric, did, didn't you say, uh, did, did, did you ever follow up on that? And he was like, a lot of people followed up on that. And he was like, Shoo. <laughs> I saw it happen. I didn't. He, I didn't. Eric was dressed as Donald Trump. I mean, only in New Hampshire can you do something like that. And anybody who anybody there could even recognize who Carl Cameron was, and then recognize that he had yeah, done this story. Know the story. Yeah, I, 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 I could have said to him, you know, all my great friends, the Israelis, they're innocent. They weren't dancing. Okay, we know they're the Arabs dancing. Okay, <laughs> great friends of mine, great people. Great. There was people. a thousand Arabs doing the Macarena across the water over at the towers, and they did a great job with that. And quite frankly, they were in the van. They tested the van for the explosives, and Baron said they didn't find any. So, but the but. but that dog did kind of test hot for the explosives, you know, like what was up with that? You know, we still haven't seen that. I mean, uh, Scott DiCarlo be ended up becoming a musician. You know, he yeah, does music now. He left the force. Yeah. yeah. He's a musician right now? Yeah, he's yeah. a country, yeah, recording artist. It's pretty good. Yeah. We should, yeah, him. We should all go very, see him. Like, very commercial sounding for that style. He keeps himself busy. He, I was, I was friended with him on Facebook, but then he changed it into a page. <laughs> To the whole thing about his music, you know, his music and stuff. So yeah, amazing. Oh, here's another one from Darren. Tell them to read the book Firefight. I have heard of that. Is that about the Pentagon? Oh yeah, that's um Patrick Creed actually, and it's forwarded by a guy I've interviewed, uh, the assistant fire chief of Arlington, James Schwartz. Uh, talk. That's the best book in the world about what happened at the Pentagon. And that's the thing, Adam, that kind of pisses me off because a lot of people who purport to be for the truth and for researching are so fucking lazy that haven't even looked into the fact that they recovered most of the plane um, in Pennsylvania and they recovered DNA and bodies of all the passengers in the Pentagon. And it's all there. It's a problem in the truth movement only because uh, people basically were told right off the bat by people like Thierry Maison and Jim Fetcher and Alex Jones yeah. at the very early onset was that if you agreed that the planes were hijacked, you agree with the official narrative, right. not knowing that the official narrative actually doesn't talk about what was happening before the operation even happened and afterwards. So everything that came before and afterwards was not reported in the 9-11 Commission report or the Joint House inquiry. And if you just you don't have to be, you know, you have to be like me and read, you know, have no life and read five hours a day about these you know, documents and files and stuff. No, I mean, look, this information is general information. Go to Nelson's channel, Truth or TV on YouTube. Basically mm -hmm. talks about all these issues, and it's all for free. Look, this information's out there. And we, we don't go, just because we believe, one thing I want to clear up right away, so we just because we believe in hijacks and hijacked planes doesn't mean we agree with the official narrative. To, to truth is, the official narrative is just 19 fundamentalists hijacked four planes. They crashed into the, the World Trade Center Pentagon in Shanksville. That is a small, you know, point of the whole 9-11 picture. And when you, you know, every every single point in history has a beginning. And if you go back to the beginning, it depends on how far you want to go, you'll understand the story that comes to that point. And then what comes afterwards is the more illuminating point. And then you'll understand why 9-11 needed to happen. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, you have all this at your disposal. 
then you'll basically say, yeah, it makes sense that there were more hijackers and more planes that were going to happen, basically puts the, the country into paralysis and everybody's in fear. And that's exactly the whole point of what they wanted you to be in, begin in the first place. They didn't need the anthrax attacks. If there was actually 10 planes or 15 planes crashing, oh, yeah. you weren't going to move anyway. Yeah. But, and and, and, and to, to say it was an inside job is just such a simplification and such an infantile description of it. Well, I mean, I it's think. an inside job in the in, in the Boston it, Logan because I, it, is. it is. It right, is. Right. It is. But but, you know, uh, implication but, wise, no. But I'm saying, you know, with people who still think that Bush and Cheney planned it. Like, yeah, that's it's just like, oh, God. Shadow government, shadow government cult conspiracies, yes. Can you imagine Bush having every intricate detail of 9-11 and going before the TV? Hold, hold on, Adam. I got to remember the script. My daddy taught it to me last night. <laughs> I can't remember. I don't no, remember what it was. No plausible deniability. I mean, I, I'm willing to say, I'll even go as far as to make a good argument that they knew something was going to come. But that the, the details was not known to them. Because... Why would they need to know the details? They need to know only they need to know, and that's it. When it comes to the details, that would be people that aren't before TV and don't, don't want to be known to anybody. Mm -hmm. Like the shooter of JFK. Do you think that person is going to go before a TV and basically say, you know, yeah, you know, I'm involved with this plot and stuff like that? No, that guy's probably dead. They're going to snuff him out the day right. off. Right, that's probably. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, to totally. Be sure, that he never goes before a TV. And all the people that may have had intelligence about 9-11 before it even happened, those people are not in the United States anymore. Well, that's why I think it's possible that some of the hijackers didn't even know this was a suicide mission necessarily. Yeah. They yeah. may have thought, we're, this is traditional. We're going to make our demands. We're going to return to the airport. We're going to draw awareness yeah. to our plight. That is that's possible. What, you know yes, what I'm saying, yes. Nelson? Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many variables. There's so many ways people could have been tricked or really knew what the hell they were doing. You know, it, it's just the, the, the reality is, is that, yeah, unfortunately, you can get a lot of people that want to do damage to the country. and They have their grievances, their issues against the country. And it isn't, you know, all just solely, you know, because we hate Islam or uh, because of the way we treat the Middle East. It's the way we've treated the all of the third world. Really, you know, that's it's all accumulated. You look at the go back to Ramsey Yusuf, what he said in court. Yes, I am a terrorist, you know, but he, mm. he gave all the reasons like, what, look what you did. You did to Vietnam, everything. I mean, he's not Asian. <laughs> well, what's, what's the documentary, uh, The Power of Nightmares, or was it, is it Adam Curtis? You sent me one of his oh, videos, yeah. Nelson, where they show the guys in the jail cell who are yelling and screaming about their grievances, and they're, these are later going to be the guys who give The blind birth. cleric? The blind, yeah. yeah we're going to give birth to the modern the jihad movement. That's, that's, a, that's Bin Laden's second-hand right-hand man, yeah. Oh, Zawahi? That's the Egyptian, yeah. Egyptian Islamic Jihad and Gamma Islamiyah, yeah. two of the primary, uh, prominent a uh, radical fundamentalist sex in Egypt. Yeah, and Blind and Sheik's I, in there too. He's in the he's around the cell too. Right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah the, that's what uh, Sean. Uh, yeah, Power of Nightmares. I think everybody yeah. should watch this movie. It's one of the most important documentaries that I watched uh, when I was in college. That opened my eyes up to a lot of this stuff. Well, I'll tell you what. Until you you need to watch Hypernormalization. I know I sent I, one of you guys that. You sent oh, it to me, dude. Yeah, it's so yeah. yeah. I, I need a week to watch it, man. I, I got a fucking day job. Hey, it sucks. I, I, I don't blame me. <laughs> I didn't make the fucking yeah, you only That's made a six-hour documentary. <laughs> 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 I 
I, I'm trying to promote your stuff to my friends, Nelson. I'm like, it's only six hours. You only need, you only need a half day to watch it, and then you need to absorb it for the other half of the day. You need 20 years to digest what you just learned. <laughs> Go. Go ahead. Tell me. Oh, yeah. man, that's funny. Well, it's, it's important oh. stuff, but I'm – I'm just I'm grateful for you guys, you know, and and I'm always happy to sing your praises. And and I refer when people want they know Mike and I are, are have been in the 9/11 for years and we research it. But when people ask me who do I go to, who do I talk to, who do I trust, it's you two and Ryan Dawson. Are you guys are my you guys are always my go-tos. And I know that you've just spent years and hours and and just digging through actual documents and finding mining the real information that people need to know. So, you know, you're both to be commended and lauded for that. You know, the Jackmans, we certainly appreciate it. We do. We appreciate it. And everyone watching should too and listening. Well, I appreciate the work you do, dude. I'm, I'm uh, very glad with the uh, recent interviews you guys have done. That's just amazing. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's, it's been cool. Uh, you know, I went and had dinner there with Mike Pence uh, last week and you know, people are like, how could you be in the same room as him? And look, man, I'm trying to renormalize being able to talk to people and, and get along with people who you do not agree with. I think that is fundamentally American. That's yes. fundamentally part of what our first amendment is about what this whole experience and experiment of a Republic is. It's to exchange ideas. It's to debate. It's to have discussions and it's just missing big time overall in our discourse. So I'm trying to walk that walk. And part of that was going to this Republican event. I had not many people get the opportunity to meet a former vice president. It's pretty cool in as it is, you know, if you're a political nerd like I am. But to be able to talk to him and actually ask him a question uh, was really cool. So I took full advantage of it. And, yeah, I wrote a Substack about it. Um, it's uh, ericjackman.substack.com if anyone's not subscribed there. And... It's just cool. I like to go to these events and take pictures, get some video. And when I can ask these high profile national politicians real questions that our media never asks them, that no one ever gets to ask them. To my knowledge, I never heard anyone ask Mike Pence <laughs> about the Nord Stream pipeline. Yeah. You know? No, yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for the accolades. Um, I, I, I look, you know, not everybody needs to be an expert in having any type of interest in this event. There's so much on your plate. And um, you can know enough where we can actually ask the questions that need to be asked. And in order to get those answers, we need more people to basically become interested in the, uh, the, the anomalies and conspiracies involved with 9-11 and not spread the, you know, the, the false conspiracies and, which lead to nowhere. You know, I'm a big proponent of knowing something rather than believing something. Because with knowing, we can build a movement that can actually make the change necessary. Yeah. Oh, couldn't have said it better, Adam. And I know we talked about a lot on our trip to Virginia with Reed last year, which was one of the highlights of my year last year, going to that Ron Paul event. Uh, it was it's coalition building. And that was a huge thing that I saw happen in Washington, D.C. Uh, with Reed and Clint Russell um, at the Rage Against the War Machine rally. Of course, there's controversy around it. Some people who were speaking, who, who wasn't going to speak, is high school. I would have anyways. I would, you know, if I had lived there, I would have gone anyways. Exactly, Nelson. That's the attitude, yeah. man. Because yeah. we we have to we have to build coalitions. We have to partner up with people that we don't agree on on certain things. And you have clash it's of personalities. You got ideologies. Yeah. Otherwise, we just we're up we're up against an avalanche of disinfo in the state and the media. 
um, in the war machine. So we're doing it right now with this four guy panel. You know, it's it's our corner of the internet and we have the influence that we have and the people we're gonna reach and the other people we're gonna reach. And Mike talk, Mike talks to me about this a lot is you, you, you have to remember there's a lot of people who just simply don't know things. They just, they don't have any idea about it. So you gotta have some patience with them and when you're telling them about these things, it's important to remember that they might not have the same foundation and baseline of knowledge that you do. So having patience and, and, and being kind with them about it, I think, is a great strategy for this stuff. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, if you want to destroy the divide, you have to basically accept or not really accept, but to, to understand where the other side is coming from. And look, the only people that want us divided and fearful of each other are the people who made it uh, the atmosphere this way. They made the millions and billions of dollars off it. And thank you, Douglas, for the super chat. He said, sorry, just got here. So was 9-11 truly known by our government? I would say yes. <laughs> That's a hard question. For me, I mean, for me, it means known. Uh, I would say yes. That's a yes question but not necessarily uh, them knowing the exact date, time, moment, and even, you know, actual targets or coordination. I just think they knew, yes, there's going to be first plans for all. There's constant threat going around for multiple hijackings. And, yes, the Twin Towers still remains as a target. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with anything you said there. I think the, when it comes to the specifics, uh it was not known to the state department i would safely assume and i think the only people that would know about the specifics were the people involved with pre-intelligence with 9-11 involving the monitoring of phone calls and people on the ground next to the hijackers and that would be the nsa the cia uh the israelis and saudi operatives that were monitoring the hijackers inside the united states and abroad i like what yeah. sean had just put up sean russell had put up right now <laughs> yeah, could they not, that no, that's, that's a great question because yeah, the throughout up. 2000 and 2001 was that the information <laughs> was there we could have stopped it hey listen if you don't believe me just listen to thomas drake the former senior executive of the nsa he basically does say that the nsa collected so much metadata on all the hijackers stop 9-11 they, they just shared it plain cameron's quote JC makes a great point here. People binge and watch TV shows with 15 episodes per season. They just don't care about anything that isn't garbage or infotainment. I think JC makes an interesting point here. Um, and that's, I mean, the, the central thesis of tonight uh, was a, a TMC documentary. So that, so yeah. he, he has a, there's a point to be made there, but I really think people are hungry for the real information. So they, people, they, I mean, what he's talking about, people get sick of anyways. They eventually right. get hungry for the truth. How much oh, fucking God. Tiger King? I mean, how much Tiger yeah. King and real murder and true I, crime? I just watch it. Do, hey, I only watched one season. I watched the one, and that's it. You know, I've seen an opening though, Adam. You said you want to get in touch with Levin from TMC. I mean, that could that could turn into something. That could be him tapping into the brain trust of people like you guys and then Ryan who have done the real research and homework, coupled with his ability to produce a hot, slick hour documentary. Yeah, that has that appeal and that allure of let's get Levin at Derek Tower. You know, I believe me, Adam. He's there. He's these guys are right. I, I, if you do reach Levin, uh, oh, I have I some mean, interesting things to add that he might there. There's you know. it, well, it has to see you, the knowledge that everyone has, it has to be packaged and presented in a certain way. 
And I think Levin did a bang up job of that with Flight 23 on TMZ. So yeah, I, my right. hope is that's the first of many. Right. But that, that, that's the question, Eric, right? I mean, what comes from this now? I mean, does it gain the attention of enough people where they want to do an extend, or do they not get enough attention to basically say, you know what, we might as well just stop it right there because we're not getting enough attention. Um, I hope you're right. And I hope that, you know, maybe I will try and reach out to him and basically talk with him and maybe get, you know, uh, you know, conversation with myself and Nelson and whoever, and maybe yeah. they can build on that. Do, do, I don't do know. You know I, a, I didn't think can you about imagine it. a slip one made on Delta 1989, Adam, uh, using the passengers who were already on the plane from Portland with Okta and Alamari, that they changed flights at Logan and they board Delta 1989. And Delta gets, and people are saying they see two Middle Eastern men acting yeah. sweaty. And, and, and then there's a bomb threat and then they land in Cleveland and right. then the, you know, SWAT team gets there and all that. What the fuck was all that about? You know, that's something that you know. I'm glad you brought this up. By the way, Nelson, that's something that TMZ can make an, like an extension from this. Yeah, uh, Delta 1989. That story is interesting, actually. Oh God, yes, because that's true. Yeah. Like they saw these Arab men looking around, looked like they were waiting us. Oh, there was missing yeah, one. They, yeah, they were the, like, right. What do you do? I mean, who does acts like that? I mean, come right. on. Mm -hmm. On that day, yeah. <laughs> it leaves the same time, like right, like between eleven and one seventy-five. Well, let me let me ask you something. There, I, now that it's just breaking up, remember that story. You're the one who turned me on to the story. The the the, the, uh, the five men for Qatar, the four four men for yeah, Qatar. Three, three, the Qatar three. three, three yeah. That was going to hijack Flight seventy-seven the day yeah. before or something like that. Well, yeah. yeah, they were. Yeah, they were supposed to fly in on seventy-seven, but right. we don't know whether we're going to. Yeah, right. But they right. were in LAX right. stationed there for a while. Yeah, that's another interesting part of 9-11. Oh God, yes. There's so many threads. That's amazing. There's so many. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's a bigger story, but I mean, hey, the reality is this: um, if this all went by, and you know, we've just kind of like not looking at it, it can happen again. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. That's what matters. Right. I don't want it happening again. Yeah, no, none of us do. That's why we're still talking about it, and and we look at the implications of what it's done to our country and the world since then. Oh, yeah. And yeah. in the name of national security, in the name yeah. of fighting terrorism, and it arguably, I think it's created more terrorists. I think our our I, that's the thing. That's the thing, and that took me the long. I didn't really, I haven't really realized that until the last few years. That was the success of it all. I mean, yeah, I mean. It inspired now people in the Middle East are like, fuck it. If we could, this is what we could do someday, yeah. Well, I mean, take a look at Iraq, for example. We created the vacuum for the Islamic State in Levant. Where it came yeah. from. Yep. And they and they were just a small group led by Abu Musab al Harkawi, and they were just prisoners from jail, drunks and rapists. And oh yeah. And became they became, they became Lindsey Graham's bread and butter. That's yeah. right. Asshole is my favorite asshole. Oh, I love Isol Adam. I love when they go west. I'm gonna do a, yeah, he's somebody I'm going to do a lot more research on is Abu Zakari. He's somebody who's very interesting to me. I've, I've been, he's one of the people that's in, my, you know, in my folder of special subjects. Well, yeah. there's a lot to consider. There's a lot of information, a lot of books, and a lot of uh, things and threads we pulled on tonight. And I really appreciate you guys coming. Um, before we wrap up here, how can, so Nelson, you have a Patreon. How can people join your Patreon and support you? They can join by paying a dollar a month if they want. If they're impressed, then you know you can offer me more. I don't care. I don't really create so much of a tier set. 
except for one item. But that's but everything else is you see everything at whatever you you know you pay. But you know mostly just you know my main channel, which I don't put a lot of films. You know I I usually put you know larger things. You can check out even my archives channel, Truth or TV Archives, and I post up a lot of interesting things. And uh, my blog, which is uh, 9-11 Skeptics versus Truth, and I have some things I've written over the years, but that's that's mainly it. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, that's it, you know. And you do really great work, Nelson, and great research, and I really appreciate it, and I, I try to spotlight it any chance I can get. Thank you, Thank you Fire I Pixie. And Adam, you just I understand you had uh, the detainee from Guantanamo Bay who was the basis of the Jodie Foster film, The Moratorian. Tell us about that and tell us how people can support you. And sorry if I butchered the, that country. No, it's, uh, it's understandable. Um, yeah, no, hey, Mohammed Old Slahi. Uh, I, I, I made a podcast about two years ago with Richard Cox, and we talked about the film. And um, I got in touch with the uh, – well, there was a guy in Germany who was a producer of a film company that got in touch with me through Telegram, and he knew Mohammed Old Slahi. And through email exchanges, we got to talking, and he came on the show, and I was very grateful for that. Um, Slahi was basically charged by the American government as being the facilitator of the Hamburg cell and the coordinator of their arrival in Afghanistan, and all that wasn't true. And so I talked with him for two hours, and basically he was a fantastic uh, conversationalist. And what happened to him was that for 16 year, uh, uh, 14 years, he was tortured for eight of those 14, and he basically made up everything because he didn't want the, the torture to stop. And they didn't charge him with not a single crime. And basically, he was abducted from his country and basically transported to Guantanamo Bay through an intermediary. And basically, uh, his story is fascinating to believe uh, because he actually forgave all his tormentors in the end, something wow. that I probably couldn't do. Yeah. Uh, so I got very fortunate to interview him, and uh, I'm very glad to do so. And that's the thing, Adam, you know, probably 80 to 90 percent of the people detained at Guantanamo Bay were completely innocent of any crime. Well, whatsoever. that's what he says as well. Most of those people basically were coming out of small, these farming uh, areas in Afghanistan that basically came under the ire or the, the jealousy of a certain warlord. And they collected a ransom payment from the United States government who paid handsomely for these people. And basically all these people were illiterate. And they, you know, they don't even think about Al Qaeda or the Taliban. You don't go to Afghanistan to train how to hijack, you know, planes. <laughs> right. they, yeah. they basically didn't even know who Al Qaeda or the Taliban were. And basically didn't even know where the World Trade Center is. So, you but know, your average American yeah. doesn't understand that. They just blanket. They think that everybody over in Afghanistan right. is a terrorist. Yeah. Now, Adam, did he say anything about meatball? Uh, Ron DeSantis down there. Um, he had to have been there the 06, same time. Oh six, oh seven, oh five. Was there? No, during the no, hunger strike. He no, because Slahi was actually the only prisoner that was segregated from every other prisoner. He was actually considered the most dangerous prisoner in Guantanamo Bay, but he was wow. actually the most harmless and he was the most peaceful. Um, it, the one prisoner that does mention uh, DeSantis, somebody I might have on the show in the future, okay. and that's Mansour Afridi. He actually <laughs> does state. Uh, in a podcast he did recently, I forgot the name of the person. With Mike Preisner. Uh, pr thank you, Mike Preisner. Fantastic. Yeah, Abby Martin's husband. Oh, yeah. Awesome. That guy's great, Mike Preisner. And yeah, Adam, he is. 
I was so glad he did with the bush to do. Oh man! Yeah. So he, yeah, he said that Meatball was down there overseeing. They were shoving insure in the prisoners' mouths and force feeding them insure. Yeah. Correct. And DeSantis was one was one guy that was doing. Yeah, it. Meatball was there overseeing it because he was a yeah. JAG lawyer. He was watching right? it through a fence as it was happening because yep. this guy remembers his beautiful blue eyes. Yep. He was he in his twenties back then, Adam. He was a lot better looking than he is now. Hey. Okay. Why do you think you say that? Because the Freddie basically says that he was the most handsome. He stood out because he was good looking. Jesus. And he was like this pressed uniform and he looked right. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he right. was Tom he was fucking Tom Cruise. Tom DeSantis is a psychopath that that almost half the country is gonna vote for. And, and when he comes to New Hampshire, he's there's gonna be some questioning. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, meatball. He he was a mini meat. He was a jag meatball back then. He was a Swedish meatball. He was coming up. Now he's in he's in a gator crock pot in Florida. He's a meatball in a gator crock pot, and he thinks he's going to take me on. But he's got another thing coming. Believe me. Believe me. That's a whole episode. Well, hey guys, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate you guys so much. Um, You know, we'll do it again soon. We this should be a monthly thing, man. We just do like a nine eleven centric. Sure. Listen, you guys have been, you guys are great. I'm a Patreon subscriber to both of you. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Work your stuff and and do. And I, you know, I'm always going to support the both of you. And really, thank you so much for even having me on. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And thank you, everybody, for watching. This has been another episode of Jacqueline Radio. We'll see you again soon.